You're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. This is a little bit of an unusual episode in that we recorded our interview with Tim Keller in two parts back in November. Now, before the COVID crisis hit our planet, we were planning on releasing this as part of a broader series called The Church Is, a deep look into church culture and the things that need to change. But in light of all of the COVID craziness, we decided to go ahead and release this episode right now. Uh, It's an amazing conversation about whether the church should be a moral voice. Should we be fighting moral issues before people understand the gospel? Uh, I promise you are not going to want to miss out on Dr. Tim Keller's incredible insight here. Just a reminder that the online Steiger Compact School is just around the corner, and we have very, very limited spots. In fact, the first school starts on July 10th, goes to the 19th. The second school starts on July 24th and goes to August 2nd. Uh, You're not going to want to miss this incredible opportunity to hear from our teachers from all over the world. Uh, There's practical opportunities to put what you hear into practice, uh, and I promise you this will change your life. So go to steiger.org slash compact, S-T-E-I-G-E-R.org slash compact. All right, well, let's get to the conversation with Dr. Tim Keller. Uh, This has never hit the airwaves. This is fresh and brand new, and we hope you enjoy it. We feel that we want to take a real honest look at the church, at at Christian culture. I think there's been a lot of very harmful and negative deconstruction has kind of become in vogue where people sort of stand from the outside and criticize. Um, And I felt like there needs to be a compelling response where it's, no, we are the church. God loves the church and and is his intention for us. Um, But what are some things where we can have healthy discussions about the ways that we're functioning or the ways that we're operating in culture that need to be challenged. Uh, and one of those is the whole idea of to what degree should the church be a moral voice? Um, sometimes what will happen on our podcast is something will come up like abortion or different topics. Um, and the challenge, the tension we always struggle with is, is the secular world going to hear our uh, moral contentions before they understand the gospel? And, and to what degree is it helpful for the church to be known for their moral stands? It, it, I definitely don't know the answer, but I would love to hear your insight on that. And, and you think <laughs> I do. How wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we wanted you on this show, because we heard you knew the answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a problem. It's a, it's a problem because if you, if you don't speak out about um, the, Christian under, the Christian ethical vision, for what a good human life looks like. If you don't speak out about that, then you uh, you sure look like you're doing bait and switch. So I was I want to talk about how to have a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And since you never talk about sex, drugs, or money or anything like that, then you you're you're drawing people in. Then you say, oh well, now if you're a Christian, you have to live like this. And you say, what? Wait a minute, I didn't know I, I was <laughs> buying that. Um, on the other hand, if you I, and actually. Um, you just actually said that. On the other hand, if you if you foreground that too much, if you say, you know, we're we're the X Y Z ministry or we're the X Y Z church, and you're constantly talking about uh, uh, sexual morality or uh, the moral issues, then people are going to get the impression what it means to be a Christian is you clean up your life and mm-hmm. you have to live in certain ways. So it is really a catch twenty two. It is a, it's really really difficult. Um, 
and I guess I would just say, frankly, that the moral thing can't, it, when it comes to your preaching, when it comes to your presentation, uh, you cannot foreground, you have to foreground the gospel and the relationship with Christ. Uh, so if somebody who's gay, for example, comes to me and says, uh, if I can get this done, they say, well, look, I see you're a Christian preacher and all that. So what do you think about homosexuality? And I'll say, well, look, I, I need to tell you right up front. So you might want to just turn around and walk away from me. But I said, I would have the traditional historic church's understanding of sexuality and sexual ethics. But I would really like to ask you a question. I said, I would say this, I'd say, I said, um, you may not like the Christian sex ethic, but does that mean that Jesus Christ could not have been raised from the dead? In other words, is that a, is that, is that good logic? Say, because I really don't like what the Bible says about sex ethics, then the mm -hmm. claim that Jesus rose from the dead couldn't be true. Mm. And I, I try to get them to the place where they would say, well, no, of course that, that's, that's a non sequitur. That doesn't, that doesn't follow. Right. And I said, and I want you to realize that the heart of what Christianity says, actually C.S. Lewis says this number in his book on uh, mere Christianity, he actually says, I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible says about sex, but I want you to know this is not the heart of the gospel. And, and then when he gets to yeah. the heart of the gospel, so what I have to say is the heart of whether Christianity is right or wrong is whether Jesus was raised from the dead, whether he died on the cross, whether the man who we see in the gospels really lived. Uh, and I said, if you decide that he was raised from the dead, if you decide to believe in him, then you do have to deal with everything the Bible says about money, about everything. Mm -hmm. But on the right. other hand, if he wasn't raised from the dead, and if you don't think that Jesus is who he said he was, then who cares what the Bible says about all these other things? Who cares? Yeah. So I said, would you please put this aside? I said, there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that probably offend people different places. And I would actually say this. I said, what the Bible says about sex does not offend people in the Middle East. What it says about forgiveness does. What it says mm -hmm. about uh sexuality in manhattan offends people all over the place what it says about forgiveness does not so i said it's going to offend everybody in every culture everywhere please don't act like your culture is the ultimate culture so because mm -hmm. it offends me here mm -hmm. i said it offends everybody the real issue is not whether the ethics offend you or you like them the real issue is is who's jesus christ so i would say to the gay person would you put that aside for now and, we, and, and be willing to read with me or talk with me about that. Sometimes they would say, no, sure. Okay. <laughs> that is, but what I've done there is I haven't ignored the moral and I haven't, yeah. I haven't been mealy mouthed or acted like, Oh, you know, who knows? Uh, but at the same time, I've, I've not, I, I, I backgrounded it. And I think hmm. basically uh, that approach, which I've done more times than I can tell you over the years, it's got to be, I think, the approach of a particular church and a particular ministry as well, that you don't, you don't, you make it pretty clear where you stand on various things, but you, that you don't foreground them and you're not constantly, you know, you're doing everything you can to say, I don't want to, uh, I'm not going to deny this, but at the same time, I want most of the interaction to come on this because if this is true, then we have to deal with this. So mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. I don't know. You, you already mentioned that you, you knew that Luke was from the UK. And uh, he's from Uck. Yes. Yeah. And being English, they didn't talk about, <laughs> he didn't really talk about sex until he's 27 yeah, uh, like years last old. Year. Propriety is everything for the English. So yeah. you have to understand that. Yeah. yeah so he has a Polish right. wife and she was able to explain it to him. So yeah, she, uh, that was uh, very so, helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but one of the things I've always 
I don't know what you think about this, but my understanding of the scripture is Jesus always talked to uh, the people on the street first about his love, and then they would turn away from their sin. Is that? And then the Pharisees and the self-righteous, he would confront them with their sin. So that's that's what I've observed is that people first need to get an understanding of God's grace and His love, then they can deal with their with their sin. Would yeah. you agree with that? Well, I read a book, the only book that I really feel like is, at least of all the books I've read, I've written I've written an awful lot, probably more than I should. The one my favorite book is the Prodigal God, which is basically yeah. an exposition of the two sons, the, you know, the uh, younger son who we call the prodigal son and the elder brother. And uh, it's extremely clear that Jesus says that when the gospel of grace just falls on people, that it tends to be more offensive to the self-righteous Pharisee than it does to the younger brother, to the person who's uh, living an immoral life, as it were, Uh, because it's basically it's in some ways it's bad news to both because the, the, the younger brother is not supposed to keep on sleeping with prostitutes. He's just not supposed to. And being a, getting the gospel, getting the grace of God in your life doesn't mean I'm going to keep on sleeping with prostitutes, does it? So there's bad news. But perhaps uh, the, the, the news of grace does not go to the very identity of the younger brother. It tends to go to the very, it tends to rattle the very identity of the older brother. And the older brother is a person who's self-righteous. Hmm. You're right. Self-righteous, yeah. religious, moral, as it were. Uh, I mean, he's, he represents the Pharisee clearly because in Luke 15, one to two, it says the Pharisees were angry because Jesus was hanging out with these, with, you know, pimps and prostitutes. So what happens is Jesus is hanging out with younger brothers and the older brothers don't like it. Jesus tells his story, which is nothing but a mirror image of what's Hmm. going on around him. And he shows that in the end, the, the, uh, you know, basically, there's another place in, in, I guess it's Matthew 23, where he says to the Pharisees, the pimps and the prostitutes get into the kingdom of God before you. Now, we have to be really careful here. We cannot say that anybody has a moral leg up on anybody else. It's always saved by grace. So you have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. You don't say that, you know, we, we, it, put another way is we don't want to be self-righteous about the self-righteous. We don't want to look down yeah. our nose at people who look down their nose at everybody. And I don't want to do that. So we have to be careful here. But you're absolutely right in saying the gospel of grace doesn't lean that heavily on the immoral people other than to say, you know, you're, I mean, what Jesus said to, to the woman at the well was you're looking for uh, fulfillment in men and sex and all these relationships. And that's not where you're going to get the water of life. I have the yeah. water of life. So it's yeah. a very, I mean, it's still confronting. I mean, you know, I mean, he is a little bit confronted when he's to go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. No, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not a husband. I mean, that's that's confrontive. <laughs> he was, yeah, for sure. You know, he wasn't just saying, I want to help your self-esteem. He, you know, they're there, honey. He was, yeah. he was, he confronted her. And yet the reality is that uh, you don't see, you don't see Nicodemus running away in John three when he's confronted with Jesus. And telling everybody about the gospel, but you see the woman at the well running away and telling everybody about the gospel, and people come to faith. And in mm-hmm. the the prodigal son, prodigal God, you've got the younger brother uh, getting into the father's arms, and the elder brother won't go in. So there mm-hmm. is something about the gospel of grace that you have to be very careful. We don't turn into a moralistic. Very careful. I think you're totally right on that. 
There's something really interesting happening right now. It's it's almost like there are voices in the secular scene that are doing the job for us to an extent. We've talked a few times on our uh, podcast about Jordan Peterson, and the other day we mentioned the the, the um, uh, Tom Holland, who, who's yes. from the perspective of history. But you've got these guys who, I guess, um, uh, coming from a philosophical perspective, uh, like Jordan Peterson's saying. Christianity is where we get our morals from. And then you've got Tom Holland coming from this amazing, you know, historic perspective saying, look at the history. This is, we, we are Christian, whether we like it or not, our morals are Christian. And it's almost like they're doing the job for us. But the thing that's been fascinating for me is that people listen to it when it comes from them. <laughs> and that, I mean, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people are drawn. I mean, it's been a phenomenon. A lot of people have followed it because it's just interesting coming from somebody who's saying, well, I'm not a Christian, but Christianity has a moral standing. And how do you, how do you read into this? Is this something God is doing or oh, what do you think of what's going on? Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. I did hear, by the way, just, just a, I listened to about 16 or 17 minutes of a podcast of yours before. I didn't want to come on here without knowing anything about you. Yeah. It was the one with Justin Brierley that you just yeah. had where he talked about Tom Holland, right? I know Justin. Yeah. I've been on his, I've been on his, uh, his program. And yeah, um, he, mentioned, he mentioned Tom Holland. Uh, no, yeah. listen, it's, don't you see? It would be natural for an outsider to say, if it was a Christian, a born-again Christian who was saying, hey, we gave you your morality. Right. Well, of course, as, of course, you're a Christian and you're going to want that. You want to believe that. Right. But when, when people who say, I'm actually not a born-again Christian, uh, they say they look more objective. In other words, they say, I've looked at the evidence yeah. and this is the fact. Now, um, and by the way, I do think in, a, in apologetics, uh, Jordan Peterson and Tom Holland are only the latest and most popular uh, and accessible mm. to people, but actually, mm. for at least twenty years, the the the, uh, the scholarship on this has been growing. There is a man named um, uh, Larry Seedentop at at Oxford that wrote a book a few years ago called "Inventing the Individual," and ba- even though it's a much more scholarly book, but it's based about the fact that the idea of individual human rights is a, a, a biblical idea. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a professor of political theory at Harvard named Eric Nelson. They wrote a book called, I, I can't remember, I think it was The Hebrew Bible and Modern Democracy, making the same case that the idea of if the idea of that everybody's equal, that we ought to take care of the poor, that every human being is as infinite uh, value. Uh, uh, here's what they're all saying. They're saying. Those ideas did not grow up out of the East, they did not grow up out of uh, other places in the world. It, it grew up out of the West, where the the idea that there was a personal God that made us in his image, in that universe, all these values make sense. All these values make sense. Because it makes sense that we'd all be equal if we're all made in the image of God, and that every human being has to be helped and all that sort of thing, has to be you know, treated as infinitely precious. But now that we don't believe in that universe, we still want to hold on to those values, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And a man named Charles Taylor who's a French Canadian, a French uh, Canadian um, philosopher. He's Catholic. He wrote a couple of books in which he said the, all the moral ideals came from Christianity, but we no longer have the moral basis for the ideals. We believe we've just evolved. We just believe we're, we're here. Um, and we've, we've gotten here through survival of the fittest. Why should we believe in equality of everybody? 
So that's uh, all these really high level thinkers, some of whom are Tom Holland and Jordan Peterson are more recent, but Charles Taylor and Larry Seedentop and Eric Nelson, these people mm-hmm. have been saying for 15 years that the, the basis of all our Western ideals about uh, justice and human rights and equality are Christian ideas. And yeah. if you get rid of the Christian view of the world, it's going to be harder and harder to support them as time goes on. So don't be surprised if you get fascism and you get other kinds of dictatorships growing up that say, you know, we don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually, I'm very delighted. Of course, it's a powerful thing. Even if you would say to a, a bunch of non-Christians, let's read this book or let's listen to this Jordan Peterson video. They're going to yeah. have a little trouble. I mean, all you want in the beginning, in the end, is is yeah. is respect for Christianity, so that you can talk about the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Luke. It's a uh, is God doing that? Yes. And I do think that, <laughs> frankly, the more non Christians that that say this, the better it's, it is yeah. for us Christians. Yep. Yeah, it helps a lot, doesn't it? Coming from them, <laughs> it really... does. It does. Yeah. And there. Tom Holland's actually not an academic, so people are going to get. He's just a great writer, yeah. and he's incredibly yeah, well he read. Is, but huh? he's not a he's not a PhD in history, so people will go after him for that. But I mean, Jordan yeah. Peterson is a clinical psychologist, and and, and Larry Seedentop and Eric Nelson, these other you know uh, Charles Taylor, they have top academic credentials, and there's more and more of these people we can point to. Uh, there seems to be a lot of lifestyle teaching in the church today. You know how to have a good marriage, how to handle your finances better, all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's a, a distraction from uh, preaching the cross? And, and do you think it goes, you know, how would you see that emphasis? Is that a good thing? Uh, not on a Sunday morning during the sermon. I think I, I, you know, I'm old enough to say, I think that in the 70s and 80s, when Christianity was starting to decline in our country, you had the development of seeker churches and the seeker churches said these aren't really worship services they're kind of they're kind of a uh kathy my wife calls them uh you know a a concert a light show and a ted talk yeah exactly <laughs> okay and so mm-hmm. the uh huh. you you ha- you you know you sing a little bit and mm-hmm. then somebody gets up there and gives a little ted talk an 18 minute ted talk on how to uh instill your values in your children or how to manage your finances or how to deal with anxiety and stress. And, and the Christianity comes in at the end. In other words, you bring in some gospel teaching at the end. Uh, it was very practical, very pragmatic. You, it's fair for you to call what you call a lifestyle teaching. And I think that there's plenty of places in any congregation where you bring the men or the women together and you talk about those things. No doubt about it. It just shouldn't be. There's two things from a Lloyd Jones perspective. I'm glad you guys are in the Lloyd Jones, or at least Luke is. Totally. Uh, Lloyd Jones would say that's horrible because the purpose of the of the Sunday service is to get people face to face with God. Yeah, you 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 know you want an encounter with God. In fact, Lloyd Jones somewhere Lloyd Jones said, if you're taking notes at the beginning of my sermon, fine. But if you're taking notes at the end of my sermon, I have failed because you ought to be worshiping at the right. end of my sermon. Logic on fire uh, or repenting, and, and so that lifestyle right. thing doesn't work. But I also think it doesn't really work for non-Christians. I think non-Christians need to hear the cross. They need right, and, yeah. and they they need to be brought mm. themselves to, uh, you know, conviction, and yeah. to see, wow, this is a gospel I've never heard anything like this. And the little lifestyle stuff, yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry, you you 
push the button and I, I started to. No, that's good. I'm glad that uh, <laughs> I pushed that button. I, it's a button for me too. So okay. <laughs> maybe to try to try to like, and, and this may create some redundancies, but I think it's, it's too important not to really get into deeply. So around the whole idea of should the church be a moral voice, I think if I could try to imagine what someone might say or the devil's advocate, maybe a weird expression in this context, but um, <laughs> with certain issues like abortion or um, you know, even what's happening in sexuality and the, the societal ramifications of that, I think there would be some Christians that would say, we have to do something. We have to speak out against that. The, the challenge yeah. is that to speak out against that puts you right in sort of the teeth of the tension that secular people have yeah. with Christianity. And so you often shut down the very conversation you so desperately need to have. So what is there a point when you say we have to speak? I don't know. Yes. See that? Yeah. Well, we, I, I started this this part the, the, some time ago. The question really was, how do you how can we be a moral voice? And I said, if you foreground the moral stuff too much, then you give people the impression that Christianity is just another legalism. And if right. you background it too far, you're really just you're really just being a coward. And you're not you're not letting people know that there are these the, the you know the Bible does speak to these things. Here's my here's one way forward. I already gave you one, which is that you foreground background. I mentioned that. But here's another one: mm -hmm. is James Mumford. He's a British guy uh, who's uh, oh, brilliant. Lives in Britain. Do you know who he is, uh, Luke? No, no, I don't. Luke. If you don't know who he is, why did you say brilliant? Yeah, well, because he's British. Because, that's because why. British people say brilliant. <laughs> See, we Americans would say, say awesome. Yeah, and they'll say brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So okay, we think that means that the person's a genius. We think that means he's a genius, but actually, British people, no. it's a much more generic term. By the way, James Mumford, I'm pretty sure, is is the brother of the Mumford and Sons Mumford. But oh, oh yeah, wow. Anyway, so, but anyway, he is a, uh, a writer. Luke doesn't know who that is either. Yeah, I know. Well, that right. I, I realize that you guys are a lot younger than me, and so you might never heard of him. Well, <laughs> anyway, I, I know who he is. <laughs> I know you're not a lot younger than me. No. Anyway, no. The, <laughs> the point being is Mumford talks about ethical package deals. And what he means by that is he says the left and the right uh, tends to say, so the, on the left, you're talking about uh, human rights and equality and justice for the poor and a kind of sexual libertinism where anything goes sexually. <clears throat> and on the right, you have people talking about traditional family, uh, you know, being pro-life. But then there's almost a complete silence about the inequality and the injustice. And he would say Christianity actually, uh, if you really look what the Bible teaches, it actually uh, combines things that the political categories don't combine. And one of the ways to throw people off is to do what, what Tom Holland and those guys are saying, and that is that the very idea of justice for everyone, the very idea of equal rights and the importance of equality is a Christian idea. Uh, mm -hmm. And the Christianity was the first multi-ethnic religion. And Christianity was famous for what it did for the poor. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Christianity was also famous because it said sex is only between a man and a woman in marriage, which was really offensive and attractive in the early church, too. And so what you do is you pull the say Christianity actually does come together. It's all based on what the Bible says. It's based on a certain understanding of God and human nature. And it combines things, some of which every culture will find attractive and some of which every culture will find offensive. So I go to first mm -hmm. Peter two, where it says, uh, 
um, you know, live godly lives before the, the, them, because when they accuse you of wrongdoing, some of them will uh, glorify God because of you. If you look at that carefully, it, it's assuming that some people will be repulsed and some people will be attracted by your views. I think the moral views right. of Christianity will be very attractive in conservative parts of the world and offensive. And then it'll be very attractive in liberal parts of the world and offensive mm-hmm. in different ways. So mm-hmm. I think it, it, I find that if you put those together, I'll give you the real quick, real quick. The early church, there's a man who just died this today, I think, or yesterday. He taught at uh, New Testament up in, in Scotland, in Edinburgh. His name is Larry Hurtado. Wrote a book about the early church in which he said, the early church was marked by racial equality, justice for the poor, civility, that is non-retaliatory, bridge building, peacemaking. If you burn their house down, they didn't, Christians didn't come and burn your house down. So racial equality, justice for the poor, civility, pro-life, they were against abortion and infanticide, and traditional sexual values. Sex was only between a man and a woman. Those five things. The first two sound like the left. The last two sound like the right. Hmm. The middle one doesn't sound like anybody. <laughs> and if you if you would, were willing to pull those together, huh. when you talk about our moral stance, it would help you not, it would be harder for you as a to be put into a box. That's all I'm trying to say. Don't get hung up on one policy. Yes. Don't be, yeah, don't be single issue people. Yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, wow. Well, thank you so much for uh, being willing to have this conversation. Uh, I know our listeners will be greatly blessed by everything that you had to contribute. And uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, to hearing more from you and, and, and just to see all the ways that, that God will use you powerfully in the future. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. To listen to past episodes, search Provoke and Inspire on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found. See you next time.